Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the book of Genesis, chapters 30 through 33. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. After all Jacob had amassed for their father, this is all they're getting. It was their husband who greatly increased the flocks. Their husband had made Laban a very rich man. So they rationalize and they justify. And Rachel goes into her father's house when he's not home and she steals all of his household gods. Now, there's a lot of scheming going on in this family. Rebecca schemed. Laban scheme. Now the daughter Rachel is scheming. It runs in the family. Rachel is rationalizing that something so precious to her father Laban should rightfully belong to her. The boys got everything. The girls got nothing. My husband has made all this increase in my father's wealth. I'm taking something precious to him. I'm taking his household gods. After all, what if Jacob's God doesn't work anymore? We got a long trip, 550 miles we gotta go. What if his job, his God isn't with us anymore? I better take my, my father's gods. We may need these one day after all, and they have sentimental value too. So traders would come through, they'd have these dolls, uh, these, these uh, metal or wood or stone household idols, the God of rain, the God of fertility, the God of, they would exchange them. Uh, every home had a collection. This is in Armenia. Uh, they're called teraphim. And they were used in connection with divination. So Rachel stole the gods, Jacob, uh, doesn't know this yet. Jacob outwitted Laban the Armenian. He did not tell him that he had intended to flee and he has outwitted him. He's outsmarted him, outfoxed him, circumvented, got around it again, outmaneuvered, tricked, duped. He fled with all that he had and across the Euphrates River Valley towards the hill country of Gilead. This would be a 550 mile trip in totality from Haran down to the Holy Land. And it was told to Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled and he took his kinsmen with him and he pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God, and this is Jacob's God, God, capital G, came to Laban, the Armenian, in a dream by night and said to him, take heed that you say not a word to Jacob, either good or bad. So they've started out at that top arrow in Armenia and they've come across the Euphrates River Valley and they're heading down here to the Holy Land. Laban overtook Jacob. Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country with Laban and his kinsmen encamped in the hill country of Gilead. Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have cheated me? You've carried away my daughters like captives of a sword. Why did you flee? Why did you cheat me? You did not tell me so that I might have sent away my girls with mirth and songs and tambourines and lyre. Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? You have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God, capital G, of your father spoke to me last night. And he said, take heed that you say nothing to Jacob, neither good nor bad. And now because you have gone away, because you longed greatly for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? And Jacob answered Laban, because I was afraid, I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. 
uh-oh, that's a rash vow. That's a rather rash vow because Rachel has taken them, but he doesn't know that. And Rachel's the one he loves. And if those gods are found with Rachel, she will be killed because Jacob has ordered that anyone where you find your gods taken from shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. So Laban went and searched Jacob's tent. He went in and searched Leah's tent. He went into the tent of the two maidservants and Laban did not find the household gods. And Laban went out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and she had put them in the camel's saddle and she sat down upon them. Pretty smart. Pretty smart. Again, think of her background, her scheming. Laban felt all around Rachel's tent, but he did not find them. And she said to her father, oh, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you for the way of woman is upon me. Now, do you know what that means? The women seem to know. The way of woman is upon me. This is the new emoji for that. Did you know that? I looked it up. This is the new emoji for that. You can just text your husband that emoji and it's, it's, it's a way you can say, this is my excuse. Rachel pulls the, the way of woman is upon me card. Now, Rachel would have been killed had she been found out. Is the way of woman upon her? Well, you'll see next week when she has a baby. So she's obviously not menstruating for nine months, right? We don't quite know the time frame. We'll see next week. Laban searched, but did not find the household gods. They were there all along between his daughter and the camel's saddle. That was a very close call for Rachel. We'll see what happens next week to Rachel. Then Jacob became angry and upbraided Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin? Why have you so hotly pursued me? Although you have felt through all my goods, what have you found of all your household gods? Sit it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen and let them decide between the two of us. He knows he's come up empty handed. These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your she-goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn up by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. Of my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was by the heat consumed by the cold of night. My sleep fed fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house, Laban. I served you 14 years for your two daughters, then six more years for your flock. And you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely by now you would have sent me away empty handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these, my daughters, or to the children whom they have born? So they decide to make a covenant. They will make a covenant, you and I, a witness between you and I. So they take a stone. They set it up like a pillar. They gather stones. They make a heap. And this will be a covenant, and they will share a covenant meal. It'll be a witness between you and me, and it will also be God. Because Jacob's God has talked to Laban, and Jacob's God is Jacob's God. So they're bringing God into this deal. God will be witness between you and me. I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap to me. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father will judge between us. And so Jacob swore. 
by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain, called his kinsmen to eat the bread. Early the next morning, Laban arose. He kissed his children, grandchildren, daughters, blessed them, and he returned home. Laban is gone. Bye-bye, Uncle Laban. <laughs> Done. Jacob went on his way, and you might have missed this. Angels of God met him. Did you catch that? A lot of us just read right over it. But angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's army. So he called that place Mahanaim. Jacob, Jacob saw this army of angels right before them. He saw them with his own eyes. He named it Mahanaim. That means two camps in Hebrew. There was his camp and there was a camp of angels. And this camp of angels was guarding and protective Jacob's family, his flocks, his wives, his children. Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Sire, in the country of Edom, instructing them, you shall say to my Lord Esau, oh, my Lord, little L, but he's making Esau above him. My Lord Esau, tell him that his servant Jacob, servant Jacob, is coming. I have oxes, asses, flocks, manservants, maidservants. I have to send them all. Tell my Lord that I would like to find favor in his sight. So this is his first strategy. He's going to announce he's coming. He's not going to just show up unannounced. He's announcing that he's coming. The messengers returned and said, we told, Jay we told Esau the message. He's coming to meet you with 400 men. 400 men. This is exactly what Jacob was afraid of because when they parted ways, Esau wanted to kill him. And now he's coming with 400 men. And this raised fear in Jacob. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies thinking if Esau comes to one company and destroys it, then the company that's left will escape. So he's strategizing. He's not fully trusting the Lord. He's seen this big army of angels around him, but he's gonna also rely on his own smarts and, and divide his camp. So he divides the camp in two. That's the second thing he does. Then he thinks to pray. O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who did say to me, return to your country and go to your kindred and I will do you good. I am not worthy of the least of the steadfast love and all the faithfulness which thou hast shown to me, thy servant. This is the first time we get a hint of repentance here. Unworthiness. It's what you say when you, when you go to receive Jesus. Lord, I am not worthy that you would come to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed the Jordan River. Now I've become two companies. He realizes he's been blessed. He's been prospered. He's huge now. His company's huge. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and slay us all, the mothers and the children. But thou did say, now he's going to stand on the promise of God. Thou did say, you did say, Lord, you did say, I will do you good and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he reminds God of his promise. Now he's going to send valuable gifts and he's going to send them in waves, five waves, in fact. And uh, he lodges there for the night and then he starts preparing these presents and they'll go out one at a time with, with separation of miles between them. So Esau keeps getting these loads of presents. 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, 200 ewes and 20 camels, 30 milch uh, camels in their coats, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses and 10 he-asses. What do you notice? He's sending a lot, a lot, a lot of female animals, way more than males. Why females? 
he can, Esau, if he gives these to Esau, this is a precious gift, their fertility. They will, he, his flocks will increase and multiply greatly and quickly with all these females coming his way. Ah, that's important. He instructed, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these before you? Say that your servant, Jacob, has sent a present to you, Lord Esau, and more are coming. And then the second one, and then the third one, and then the fourth one, and then the fifth one. I will appease him with the presents that go before me. And afterwards, I shall see his face and maybe, 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 just maybe, perhaps he'll accept me. He's looking for forgiveness and he's trying to make restitution. For what? He stole, first of all, he didn't steal this right out, the birthright, the first thing. Esau agreed to it. He sold that bowl of soup for his birthright. That's the inheritance, double inheritance for the firstborn son. More, so now he's sending him inheritance. He's sending him all these sheep and goats and cattle and donkeys and maidservants and man. He's calling him Lord. He's saying, I'm your servant. He's reversing everything. It, it's, a, it's a penitential reparation. And he's coming in a state of humility for the first time ever. This is new. This humility after 20 years of being humbled himself by Laban, being on the other end, on the receiving end of the trickery. He announced his coming to Esau. He's divided his camp in two. He sent waves of valuable gifts and he's humbled himself. He's reversed the roles. You're the Lord. I'm the servant. The, there are three kinds of humility that St. Ignatius talks about. The first is to humble myself to total obedience to God. God told him to go, he's going. The second is to be ready for honor or dishonor, poverty or wealth, anything God wants, whatever God wills. That's called holy indifference. It doesn't matter if I'm rich or if I'm poor, if I'm sick, if I'm healthy, you're still God, you're still my God and I'm still your servant. And the third way of humility, the greatest, is to actually desire poverty, to desire dishonor for the sake of the Lord, willing to be a fool for Christ. Now we come to the chapter where Jacob's going to wrestle something at Peniel. The same night Jacob arose, he took his two wives, his two maids, his 11 children. Benjamin's not born yet. They crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. He sent them across the stream and everything he had on the other side of the stream. And Jacob is left alone and a man wrestled with him until the break of day. All night long, these two went at it. They wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and wrestled until the break of day. Who is this man? Because for hundreds and hundreds of years, people have been trying to figure it out. Remember, there were three men that came to Grandpa Abraham three men. And it says the Lord appeared to him. Three men stood in front of him. He bowed himself to the earth and said, my Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Jacob was left alone with one man. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Who is this visitor? Is it God? Is it a man? Is it a son of man? Is it Jesus, the second person? of the Trinity? Is, is, is it himself? Is it Jacob? Is it his own conscience? Is he fighting with himself, his memories, his, his regret, his remorse? Is it an angel? Hosea thought it was an angel. Hosea wrote that he strove, Jacob strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. 
it is definitely a divine being of some sort. Because when the man saw that he was not prevailing against Jacob, he was not having victory over Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, just touched the hollow of his thigh, and Jacob's thigh was put out of joint. Hmm. And he wrestled with him. This is definitely something divine. And he, the man, said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob wants that blessing. He has stolen the blessing. And he wants, he wants it given to him, not stolen. And the man said to Jacob, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Now you know what that means, the word Jacob. Deceiver, supplanter, circumventer. But the man said, your name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, striven is to go to great efforts to achieve, to obtain something. To prevail is to prove to be more powerful than the opposing force, to be the victor. And Israel from the Hebrew means God contends or God strives. But this being says you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. It's a new name given by God to Jacob called Israel. It's going to be a new nation that God will form from the descendants of Jacob. We're to a nation now. Abraham was a tribe. Jacob will be a nation. It will be the nation of Israel, one who strives with God and man and lives. Your name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel. You have striven with God and man and prevailed. So it's a new name. Only God renames people in the Bible, but angels can deliver messages from God. Gabriel told Mary his name will be Jesus. Abram, we've seen, was changed to Abraham. Sarai was changed to Sarah. Jacob is now changed to Israel. He has striven with God and with man. He's driven with God and he's driven with Esau. They have wrestled since they were in the mother's womb, these two. Some of the Hebrew rabbis pr propose it could be a ministering angel of Esau, his guardian angel, perhaps. Then Jacob asked him, tell me, I pray your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. He blessed him. That struggle all night long uh, is a lot of those things combined. <laughs> Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God's face to face, and yet my life is preserved. I've seen God face to face, and I have not died. Jacob knows this is a divine being. The sun rose upon him. He passed Penuel limping because of his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the sinew of the hip upon which the hollow of the thigh, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh on the sinew of his hip. I love that painting. I love this painting because Jacob is begging, 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 begging for the blessing. He did not get it in an honest way on his own accord, and he will have a forever limp now. And that's the word that stuck out with me in Lexio when I was praying with this passage. And I think it's because I have a limp 
for the rest of my life because I had a limb salvage with my cancer surgery and they took out three of my four quadriceps. So I limp. And after seeking truth, when I've been standing all day on Thursdays, I can barely walk on Fridays. You should see me Friday morning. Steve sees me get out of bed and I hobble around limping. And I remember when my mom, she's in a memory care center now, she had so much wisdom. She, she embraced this limb salvage. She said, this is going to humble you. And I thought, what is she talking about, you know? But she was so right because it's a constant reminder to me of all God has done in my life. I should be dead and he's allowed me to, to not lose my leg, number one, and to still be alive 20 years later, 21 years later now. God, but he's given me this limp. So it's a constant reminder of what he's done for me. And that's beautiful. Now, I think Jacob is getting a spiritual lesson. To me, the limp is worth it. Like, I'm alive. The limp is worth it. I'm not going to, I never complain about my limp, only to Steve. Uh, but I, 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 I never, I don't want to just sit and complain about my limp and my leg and it hurts. But Jacob is given a spiritual limp that night. And I think there's an analogy there because he wants forgiveness. He's done something that he's regretted. He's had 20 years to grow closer to the Lord. He's, he's begging for absolution. He wants some kind of, 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 of making this right with his brother. He knows he's stolen. When you have been forgiven of something you did that you imposed on someone else, if you've ever been the one to be in the forgiven position, you always carry a bit of a spiritual limp. You know you're forgiven, but you still have memories. You still maybe have regret or remorse. Hopefully the shame and the guilt has subsided if you've gone to confession about it, but, but you still carry that limp. There's just that limp. It's just that, but the limp is worth it. The limp is worth it because you've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. So the limp, even if it's a spiritual limp that you remember it, it's worth it. So he's not going to let go of this divine being because he wants to be rightfully blessed. He regrets that he stole the blessing. He wants to make it right. He wants absolution. He wants to be blessed. He wants, he, he, he's confessing in a way. He's struggling. He's wrestling. He's wrestling with himself. He's wrestling with his conscience. He's wrestling with this angel. He's wrestling with Esau. He's wrestling with memories. He's wrestling with a lot of things that night. That's why we can't figure it out. He's wrestling with God and man. That's why he's named Israel. He's driven with both God and man and he's come victorious. Who did that blessing belong to? Ultimately, it can never be revoked. It's God's blessing. It belonged to God. The blessing belonged to God. Who did Jacob deceive to get the blessing? Isaac. He deceived Isaac, his blind father. Who did the blessing rightfully belong to? Should have gone to the firstborn son. The blessing rightfully belonged to Esau. And Jacob got it. The birthright he got for a bowl of pottage, that was outright. It wasn't deceptive. He worked all, pushed all the right buttons. The blessing, however, was stolen. There's no other way about it. He was, he, de he deceived and he stole. So he broke two commandments. The commandments hadn't been given yet, but he did not honor his father, his blind father. He deceived him and he stole. Thou shalt not steal. So Jacob has to make peace with God because it's ultimately God's blessing. And Jacob has to make peace with man because he has sinned against Isaac and Esau. So Jacob must make peace with both God and man. And when you go to confession, you make peace with God through the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And you make peace with man, the whole body of Christ, the church. 
That's why we don't just go straight to God. We, go, we have to make peace with man too, the body of Christ that we've wounded, the church. And so sometimes you may have a limp, but the limp is worth it because you've confessed your sin, you've been absolved, you've been forgiven. Even if that memory haunts you and you limp and you have regrets, the limp is still worth it because you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven. So when you hear the words, I absolve you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Jacob wanted that blessing. He wanted that forgiveness. He wanted that absolution. He wanted that recognition. And that's when people walk out of confession, it's like they saw the face of God. They were forgiven. They come out and there's almost a radiance on their face sometimes. It's a new beginning. It's almost like you get a new name, a start over, a do, a do over again, begin again. Jacob lifted up his eyes. He looked and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids and their children up front, then Leah and her children, then Rachel, the wife he loved. And then last of all, the very safest spot, he put Joseph, going to be his favorite son. We'll be seeing that in a few chapters. He himself went on before them. He bowed down to the ground seven times when he came near to his brother. This would have been very obvious. The first bow, the second bow, the third bow, the fourth bow, the fifth bow. I mean, this is very obvious to all who are looking to seven oneself right? To swear an oath. He's trying to undo the blessing. He's trying to give it back. He says, your Lord, I'm servant, bow to you. Your Lord, I'm servant, bow. a perfection of humility, a perfection of revert, trying to spiritually reverse what he's done, a restitution, a penitential restitution. Jacob's decision to bow down to Esau reflects an ironic reversal of the blessing he received from his father. He got this blessing, let people serve you and nations bow down to you, be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. He's trying to reverse that. He's trying to bow down to him. Jacob humbles himself seven times. He has sent ahead of him an inheritance of gifts. He's trying to, to reverse the inheritance, the, the birthright. He's trying to reverse the blessing. Esau runs up to meet him. He embraces him. He falls on his neck. He kisses him and they wept. There's forgiveness. There's acceptance. They hold each other and they cry and they weep. This is the most beautiful ending he ever could have hoped for. And he says, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life is preserved. He sees God in the forgiveness of his brother. Jacob has seen God's face in the face of forgiveness. And if you've ever done something and someone has forgiven you, you know what the face of God looks like in their love, in their forgiveness. It's one of the greatest gifts we can give someone is our forgiveness. He will stay humble. He will always remember because he's got this limp now. He'll always remember that grace of that moment when he was forgiven and he saw the face of God and his brother. Even if they part ways now and go their separate ways, he has that limp and he will always remember he saw the face of God and he lived. He saw God's face through Esau. Esau did not kill him. Rather, he forgave him and the yoke is broken. That was one of the other blessings that Esau received, that, that when your brother, when you come together, the yoke will be broken. They're both set free. Let's pray. 
Lord God, we praise you and we thank you for forgiveness. Those who give forgiveness, those who receive forgiveness, humble themselves to ask for forgiveness. Both we see in this story, Lord. Help us be a more generous, forgiving people. Help us forgive those who have wounded us and hurt us in our lives. Take us, Lord, to a deeper place of forgiveness so that others might see the face of God in us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the book of Genesis, chapters 30 through 33, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.